0: or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of Tea for C can give you a quick caffeinated fix whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug cuz it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Michelle Howard. Well, I have no doubt that there is no such thing as a typical day when you're a four-star admiral. But could you take us inside, maybe as close as it comes to a typical week for you? What were all of the different responsibilities you had to juggle where you were tapping into those qualities?
1: At the four-star level, particularly in an operational theater, I would say listening. You're getting daily briefs. You have all these mission sets going on, and you have all these different commanding officers, leaders in their own right below you who are in charge of the mission and driving the mission. And then you have to cultivate relationships so that they feel confident to be able to communicate to you where they need help, if they need help, or where there's risky areas, but they've got it under control. And then you have got to really listen as you're getting your operational briefs. And ask the right questions and pull the thread at the right moment. And so I would say listening becomes far more important as your span of control gets bigger. How did you learn, if you learned or if
0: this was just something that you did naturally, how to ask the right question at the right time?
1: I would say one of the things that helped reshape how I think about things was getting my master's degree and learning how to put Issues into frameworks and learning how to try and put issues into blocks and then making sure I understood the components of those blocks. And then I think I'm strong in that if something does not make sense or I just really don't understand, I'm not afraid to go, hey, can you walk me through this in a little bit more detail? Or I really don't understand what you're saying. So can you try and rephrase it? And then a lot of times I found where people, when you're observing people communicating to you, where they're uncomfortable, it's because they don't have clarity of understanding about that particular area. And so it's one, you've got to have enough confidence in yourself to say, sometimes I just don't know, or I'm just not getting it. And hanged that, oh my gosh, no, no, four star admirers should never say those words now. There's just times you cannot possibly know as much as 40 people in front of you. You have experience sets that can help shape your absorption of the information. You have experience sets that help you relate to what they're saying, but there's times you are going to just know it's not making sense and you've got to ask questions to get to clarity. So for our listeners, Admiral
0: Howard got her master's in military arts and science. I think I'm saying that right. Yes. In history yeah. in history at yes. the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. Just to help you put that into context, so you spent an awful lot of time listening. What were the kinds of briefs that you were getting?
1: So in an operational command, you normally start the day with a brief that walks through all the different mission sets that are going on, what all the activities are. And in a large command, of course, that could take an hour to hour and a half. And then you might have a smaller update on the priority ones towards the end of the day. If you're in the middle of a mission that requires your personal interaction, then you're going to be running a cycle that's more of a 24-hour cycle, Where you're getting updates maybe every four to six hours, or you might be getting a personal update directly from one of your operational commanders. So, depending on the number of missions and then high priority of strategic missions, your day gets changed. So, in a routine week, it's about twice a day, normally runs face-to-face or BTC, five to six days a week. And you might do just written email reports on the seventh day, or if a lot's going on, it's seven days a week. It's every day. Oh my
0: goodness. So your last command was from 2016 to 2017, where you were the commander of US Naval Forces Europe and Africa. And at the same time, you simultaneously led NATO's Allied Joint Force Command Naples, which had oversight of missions from the Western Balkans, to Iraq, off the top of your head, do you remember
1: how many direct reports you had? Direct are the staff members who work directly for me, the first layer down, and then commanding officers. So that's one layer down. That's maybe between the two staffs, 40 people. Oh, my God. No, that's just, that's just the yeah. So if you're talking about the totality of the staffs, so the U.S. staff was about 1,200 people. The NATO staff was about 850. If you're talking about the span of control and all of the ships, submarines, carriers, and remember some assets move in and out of theater on a big day, you have people on mission and cross Africa, Djibouti, NATO side, you've got people in the African Union, you could be talking 50,000 people. And those could be units operating high north, up near the Arctic Circle, units operating off West Africa, a base in Djibouti, peacekeeping operations in Kosovo, the training mission in Ethiopia, and then support or training missions, half a dozen African countries. Sometimes more, depending on what we were asked to provide support to half a dozen ships in the Mediterranean, one or two carriers, amphibious forces, and you're you're running mission. So when I first got to Naval Forces Europe, the carrier was in the eastern Med and it was putting strikes into Syria against ISIS. And then at the same time, we ended up starting a mission that ran for six months where we had amphibious forces providing direct support to Misratin forces. In Libya, and they were using helicopters, fixed wings, they were running strike missions based off Bizron forces because the Libyan government was fighting ISIS and they requested U.S. forces support. President agreed, we got the mission. So during that time, what would you
0: say were the various responsibilities that you,
1: as the four-star admiral, had to juggle? You're in command, so you're juggling all of the aspects that go with being in command mission, risk assessment, synchronization of forces. This isn't like commanding a ship where it's parsable in terms of true management and task and activities. It's oversight. Gotcha.
0: See, for those of us civilians who've <laughs> never been in the military, I think it's really interesting to hear the distinctions and to appreciate the magnitude of what you were dealing with on any given day?
1: There's an engagement component to this. So, for example, if you have a carrier that's running patrols doing strike missions into another country, then, for example, there's, depending on what countries they fly over, there's clearance, air clearance requirements and support permission from those countries. So the job might require that you're going to be the one engaging because you're the senior leader with the leadership of that country, could be military, could be political, and make sure they understand how much you appreciate their support for air clearance. Or you could be responsible for working through U.S. makes agreement with a NATO partner, want to create a base or create a runway. You're going to be assigned the responsibilities to put a team together and help work through the language of that memorandum of agreement or subset commitment to a treaty. And then you'll be the signatory for the U.S. government on that treaty. So it's, it's all of it. It's the totality of the area, the engagement, synchronization of forces, the planning, and then the risk assessment, and then the communication to the senior military leaders and political leaders, both on the NATO side and on the U.S. side. So did you sleep? from the time you go to sea, whether you're division officer department head, you don't get a lot of sleep. I mean, I think if there's nothing going on, on a ship, I would say the average person's probably putting in, and you're at sea, they're probably on watch or at work 80 to 90 hours. And then the rest of the time is sleeping or eating 10 minutes, putting some food in your mouth before you go back on watch. So as you get more senior, because you're scope of theater is so large, the demands and communications tend to run around the clock. So you get periods where you can sleep, but it's not like a civilian job where it's nine to five. And it it's not like a tough job where it's five to nine. You're in command 24 hours a day. And so, you know, sometimes your sleep might be flying on a commercial aircraft to get to another country. That might be your four hours of downtime to sleep where you hop off and go off and meet troops or sailors or Marines who are doing a mission. Thanks for
0: tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee. 24-7,